at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today, for the time being at least, is Jared Smith. Hey, John, what's going on? Nothing much. Uh, Dan will be joining us soon, but just figured let's get going. Have a little delay tonight. Note to everyone, don't delay when you wrap gifts for people, because then... You think you have more time than you do, and suddenly you're you're in a flurry of of rushing through it. What are we wrapping gifts for? It's a birthday. <laughs> Surprise! Don't want to spoil it in case somebody's listening on on the show, right? <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't know if any of my friends listen to this. <laughs> I know my wife doesn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my wife doesn't either. So. Usually a good thing. Um, of course, we're starting this podcast just as Duke and Notre Dame are heading down to the wire here. This has been a fantastic game so far. John, have you been watching it at all? I have been watching the New York Knickerbockers. Just oh, why? You're, you're torturing yourself. Because I'm a glutton for punishment. You are. No, actually, the uh, Duke and uh, Notre Dame trying to show, actually, the nation that the ACC actually can play real basketball, like Syracuse and North Carolina did the other day. Because that was kind of fun. That was kind of fun. Uh, it's definitely nice because it's been tough for me all season with, with the teams I watch play basketball. I'd actually see, like, some competent play and, and a lot of really nice effort. And, you know, obviously things didn't go our way, but at the same time, like, I wasn't necessarily disappointed by what Syracuse put forth um, for 40 minutes. No, I mean, like, I think we've kind of said this on the on the site for the last couple of days. And Syracuse basically was in control of that game for about 30 minutes, uh, played hard, uh, played well, and it really just seemed like they hit a wall with the last 10 minutes to go. And I know, you know, excuses are excuses, but you know, when you're playing a team with the depth that North Carolina has, with the athletes that can just keep coming at you with, and then – you know, especially with, like, five minutes to go, you know, and you're only playing five guys, and all of a sudden you're getting tired, you're getting lazy on defense, you're committing kicky-tack fouls, and the fouls rack up real quick. Um, Syracuse was in trouble very quickly during the last ten to five minutes of that game. Uh, and he just kind of had the feeling, especially once they got down, like, I think it was, like, four points. 
I think at the four minute mark, I was just like, I just don't think I have the horses to make a run. And they still kind of stayed in it, but in the end, they just don't have enough bodies to, you know, play that hard that long and to compete with an athletic team like North Carolina. And that was just, you know, the doing. I mean, just, you know, Cooney at end of games, he just, I mean, he just, he's just going to be so tired that he can't get up any good shots. And it's just going to have to go to Christmas. And he did all he could do. And if no one else is making any shots, this team is, in, in, you know, that's all I got. So uh, that's basically what happened uh, the other night. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the big issue. And we've all talked about it. It's, when we're playing three on five basketball for, for a good portion of every night, um, it becomes very difficult to win games. And I mean, the weird part was, I know I did that, uh, you know, kind of shooting breakdown uh, the other day. And what was very glaring was, you know, just how few touches Christmas was getting in the paint, like with a chance to take a shot um, for extended periods. Like as soon as the defense swarmed, as soon as he started getting some bodies on him, they'd avoid, they'd settle for jumpers. And I found that to be, you know, a bad strategy, especially when Christmas went 10 for 10 from the line um, on, on Monday night. I just think that that's, Again, it's just kind of insane that, you know, we're going to avoid our best offensive option. Where's Casey's style as, as he's going up and he gets to take two shots? I mean, no, we shouldn't avoid the three ball at all, and especially, you know, the way uh, Benajay and Cooney were, were hitting for an extended period of time. But at the same time, I think this offense still very much needs to run through Christmas. Yeah, and... Again, it's tough to do too, though. Like, what I think what you're saying is correct. I mean, their bread and butter, especially late in games, should be Christmas. But it is kind of tough to pound in the ball inside for two points when they're down by two possessions. I mean, you have to have a to be able to knock down three pointers if you're trying to get back in the game if you're falling late like that. But yeah, at one point, I think you know when. I'm looking through, I mean, Syracuse had a two-point lead with about eight minutes to go. And then Meeks got an and one to put North Carolina up one. And then Nate Burt made back-to-back three-pointers after a Benajay bucket. And that was pretty much what they needed. You know, North Carolina needed with about seven and a half minutes to go. They were up by four. And that kind of puts, I mean, it did look like Syracuse going back to rack, but I mean, it's it puts the owner. It's really tough to come back uh, from you know a two possession lead when you're not making any jump shots too, because you know they can just close in on you. But I agree, and that's the thing about this team is, I think they're really good if they can get the if they can get the lead late. I mean, they've shown that they it's tough for them to hit foul shots, but uh, their execution has been pretty good. At least it's getting better with Christmas and. That's why he's been so consistent lately. Right. You know, and the other big thing, and we talked about this, I mean, you mentioned it there, just the team on that, not having the horses. It, it's not to, to, you know, get too annoyed with with Bayheim's typical strategy of having a short bench, but have we reached a point where this, this team is too short? I mean, this is the parallels to the 0708 team are, are really, really... Uh, becoming glaring at this point. Just it just looks like a team that maybe if they had a little bit more rest, maybe if they had one more shooter, there'd be something going on. But I, I just 
you know, you saying they don't have the horses, I think is completely dead on. Like at the end of the day, these kids can't play 40 minutes every night, especially on, on, you know, kind of a short layover. Um, I mean, at what point does this team kind of pack it in and say, all right, like we're not making the NCAAs. Um, why don't we start getting some experience for kids for next year? Um, and then, you know, perhaps we can actually run eight guys out there and not, not kill these kids. Uh, oh, like, I don't think that. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Bayheim would do that. I mean, especially just in the sense that um, you just want your team to get better as they move throughout the game. And, you know, you never know what you are going to be heading into the ACC tournament. I mean, even if they're on the, you know, maybe on the outside looking in come that time, they could still make a hell of a run and still, you know, earn that automatic bid. You just never know. I mean, we've seen this. I'm not saying that anybody on this team is like a Kemba Walker type player. Um, but at the level that Christmas is getting better and better offensively, and, you know, if, I mean, just, John, just think about it, though. Like, if Joseph and or Patterson are somewhat competent in that game, there's an extra four to six points that they have, and that game is completely different down that stretch. I mean, it was a 10-point loss, but it was much closer than that. And even if those two teams are – Dude, those two players are somewhat competent. Like if they open, like if Patterson somewhat finds a way to make an open jump shot, I just, I mean, I like that he still has confidence to make that shot, uh, or at least to take it. But it's got to go down. And if, and if it starts going down, um, that's an extra sixty-seven points that can help you at the end of the games. And if I don't know, you know, Caleb Joseph right now just has the sense that he's just, you know, some nights he looks. He's, he's, he looks, he feels, you can see the confidence in me. He feels like, oh, I got this. I understand this. And then, like, the game progresses, he'll make a mistake, and then the deer in the headlights hook, you know, clicks right on, and Bayheim's on him, and he's kicked out of the game, and, like, completely shuts him down. I mean, I mean that's the thing. That's why it's, I guess that's why I say they have four, they need horses. Like, I said, I wrote, I've written this before for Troy News. Christmas and Cooney are going to keep you, they are, they are so good that they're going to keep you in games no matter who you're playing. Um, if Benajay is playing well, then you have a, a pretty good chance of maybe stealing one against better teams like a North Carolina. Benajay didn't – he played okay. He didn't play fantastic. But, and then, but if you have those three guys clicking, and then if you have any contributions from, you know, Roberson played all right, but he's still not – I mean, he's still struggling in spots. Uh Joseph is like I said, we talked and you know, we talked about Joseph and Patterson. Um, if those three other guys connect with those three good players to really good players, this team has a chance to be anybody. But the issue is, like I said, they don't have the horses. If one player, one of those three good players are off, this team is in a whole lot of trouble because you know they have no other options to go to. They can't. They're, they're, they don't have that spark off the bench that can come in and, like, you know, kill four or five minutes of these other players are off. They can't do that. They have to have those guys. So they have to play 40 minutes. And that's the difference between a lot of the elite teams in the country right now are the really good teams, at least in the ACC, and Syracuse. I mean, they just – right now they're just running on fumes at, by the end of the games. And unless they're up by six to seven to eight points, it's really going to be hard for them to pull off an upset. Yeah, I think it's that's what's frustrating. That's kind of what like I was hinting at. It's just 
to see us kind of, you know, be, I, I don't think that we're without athletes on the team. I understand that, that guys usually need a year in Bayheim system to, to figure things out, but we're not without athletes. I guess all, all, all I'm, and I know some, some of the people at Pine right. too. It's just. Are you watching the right. game? Yeah, <laughs> I just interrupted you. Notre Dame just chucked up a shot with a lot of minutes to go, and it went in. Oof. That was crazy. Jerry and Grant, like, dribbled in the in-between belt, three or four players, lost the ball, chucked up the shot, and it went in. <laughs> yeah, they're up by three. Sorry. Go ahead, John. <coughs> that was all good. Um, I'm just reading Twitter now about the shot. Um no, all I was saying was that, you know, we have a ton of athletes on the team, and it is, you know, frustrating for myself and other fans to see us not really use them, especially when, like you said, this team is talented. This team can win. This team can pull upsets at home or on the road. Like, they're capable. It's just really a question of, um, you know, just having the energy at the end of the game. And I know that that's, this is not Bayheim's MO, but it, it, if we don't find a way to get some more guys on the floor, just enough to have us be able to close out games at 85% or something near it, um, I think this is going to be a really, really long um, end of the season. I mean, the only the only thing good that I've, I've been thinking about this, the only thing good about having a short bench where you have like five to six guys that they're consistently playing together throughout the rest of the year Um there is a chance that everything can click. And when it's clicking, it goes extremely well because, I mean, all these guys are doing are playing playing with each other. I mean, it's five guys, you know, in practice all the time, in-game situations, and they eventually get to the point where, you know, they're just clicking on all cylinders on offense and they start, you know, scoring a lot more using, uh, you know, Rack, using Cooney, Benajay, getting open. I mean, it's... Roberson starts, I mean, he seemed a little bit more confident in hitting those mid-range jumpers. I mean, that's a huge thing, too, of staying with these better teams is Roberson hitting that shot in rhythm. I mean, if he can knock down two or three, that opens up a lot of the floor for everybody else. But if he's hesitating and not taking those shots, well, you're literally playing four and five on offense. And this team can't survive when that happens. Uh, I mean, you could argue that they're playing four and five regardless if Roberson is uh, making shots. That, you know, you know what my point is. I mean, if he's consistently passing up open shots, then what's the point of him being on the floor on, on offense? Uh, so, I mean, that's the thing. And he's a good enough player. He's a good enough athlete to, like, he always been in the league. He grabs rebounds at a very good rate. Uh, and he's a good enough athlete to compete with pretty much anybody that's guarding him. Um, so, I mean, if he starts getting better and a little more confidence, that could be another key thing. It's just it's such a long haul, and I know I keep saying this, and it's, it's there's a lot of basketball left to be played. And I know you talked that you mentioned this on Twitter the other day about you know, and I I've seen this on Twitter about it wasn't you specifically, but I've seen like well, Syracuse will be lucky to win three more games for the rest of the season. Hey, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, it's, this is college basketball. They're going to beat someone that they're not supposed to beat. It just happens. They're too talented of a team. They have too good of players uh, to not at least knock somebody off if they're not supposed to. Um, and but they just got to look, you know, they just got to avoid the really bad losses, like you know, not losing to Virginia Tech going forward, 
or not losing the pit going forward. But, you know, if they can earn a win, you know, a good road win or knock off two or three or two teams at home, I mean, they got a shot at the tournament just like anybody else. I mean, you've looked at all the bracket how you think that the teams that are on the bubble right now are not very good. And there's a good, good chance that any one of those teams could take a nose dive and Syracuse makes a run and helps themselves get into the tournament. And, you know, I don't know if you would agree with me on this. If they do get to the tournament and they're playing pretty well, by the end, I mean, I don't want to play them in the first round as an 11 seed, you know, if I'm a single seed or a 12 seed. Like, that, that's a, you know, that, that, that team would scare me if I'm a five, you know, five team playing a 12, you know, moving in there. So it, it just, it's just how it works. They just got to start yelling together. But like they said, the biggest concern is not having enough bodies at the end of games because it's just everyone else is going to have that. And that and the margin for error for Syracuse is so big. Like if one thing goes wrong in the final second, a lot of things can go wrong because they just don't have the body. No, I'm, I, I'm on the same page with all that. Um, just wanted to quickly intro Dan Lyons, who decided to hop on the phone with us. Hello, everyone. And it looks like Notre Dame's going to pull off the upset. Well, uh, actually, they were one-point favorites. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. So. It was going to be a really deep upset at home, so. Yeah, I'm actually not surprised. I thought Notre Dame would win this game. I just think Duke Duke has serious defensive issues, and Notre Dame does not have serious offensive prob- offensive issues. Uh, and on the contrary, they're very good in offense. Um, and their offense isn't really predicated on attacking the basket. Uh, they're a really good jump shooting team. So this is a the type of team that's not going to do problems. I I mean it's weird. Because I feel like we saw this from Notre Dame at the beginning of last season. I mean, not this in particular, but we did see the beginnings of it at the beginning of last year before Grant went down, and it was just – I know, like, when Dan and I were talking about them on the podcast last year, it was very much like, oh, well, if Notre Dame had Grant. And then before that, it was, well, if Notre Dame could just figure this out or that out. This looks like the result of that, like having Grant back, figuring it out. Um, this Notre Dame team is dangerous. Obviously, we've, we've heard this story before. But this Notre Dame team just seems better than all the ones that I remember, anyway. Well, it's it's that team from last year, plus Jerry and Grant, plus they're all a year older. Like people forget how how much better players get from year to year in college basketball because so many of the best players don't don't take advantage of that, and and that's for good reason. But when you have really good college players who don't really project to the NBA, you can put together teams like Notre Dame has, where you have you know four or five juniors and seniors who are all not quite, they're not quite, you know, Julia Locafor type players, but they might be lacking like the one or two things that keep them away from being an NBA player. But in college, you don't need to be, you know, as dominant in every facet. And Notre Dame has a lot of just really talented scorers. Uh, and, and Jerry and Brandt is a legit ACC player of the year candidate, along with, uh, you know, if Okafor has the high, Okafor is probably going to be the favorite. Um, especially if Duke doesn't tail off. But uh, guys like Grant and, and Christmas uh, on our team, seniors like that should should really be getting a lot of uh, a lot more hype. And I think Grant's starting to get there. Christmas has flown so far under the radar. And, and it's nice because I have seen a couple of, like, national uh, and ACC, like, wide writers talking about him more, even in losing efforts. But 
Uh, Barrett Green from Virginia Tech can win ACC Player of the Year, I think, two or three years ago before we were in the conference. No reason for teams shouldn't get some, some props for scoring, like, 23 and grabbing 11 boards and, you know, being the only consistent option aside from Cooney most nights on the team. I was just looking at Twitter and what's going on on ESPN now, and, like, Jerry and Grant's getting, like, all this hype right now. And it's like, that's, you know, it's if Hakeem Christmas goes off for 30, you know, not for 30, but, like, 25, and, like, Dan said, like, grabs double-digit rebound total, he has a couple blocks in a big victory, you know, over someone. Um, you know, he'll he that will be a nice staple win for him. And, and, and another thing, too, is what Christmas has going for him right now is, um, you know, if this team does make the postseason or does, you know, put themselves in position by the end of the season, I mean, every writer in the ACC can look at them and be like, where would Syracuse be? Maybe they would be not even not qualifying for the NIT if they did that Christmas. So uh, I think that was, that's one thing that he has got going for him too is that vote of, like, where would this team be without this guy? And, it, you know, Notre Dame would win – you know, a lot more games in Syracuse if they didn't have Grant. Yeah, I just don't looking think at... would be. I don't know that we'd be a 500 team without Chris. Like honestly, I, I think he is the reason 500? we are. I really don't. I don't know if we'd be a 500 team without him. No, I, mean, I, I don't. I don't know if we'd win. I mean, I, I, I think you you take the not 10 fucking games quote and you knock that down to five. <laughs> I just had the same exact thought. <laughs> I was like, you just beat me too. But if, if there's a guy who like we've had great players in the past, we've had a couple guys who are probably a little better than Christmas, but not many. Christmas is quickly rising on the list for us this year. Um, but no one has carried the team like Christmas is this year. Like he's making, he, he's the reason why Syracuse is not only you know winning some games, but also we haven't really had been blown out um, in the games of Syracuse's loss. They put forth a good effort. Uh, the UNC game could have won, ran out of, I mean, you know, you were talking about it right when I jumped on here, just ran out of steam, which is the major issue for this team. But Christmas is like the, he's he's the factor that keeps Syracuse from being at a total disadvantage every night and at least being in pretty much every game. So it's, uh, he really deserves his due. And if he, if we're not going to make the tournament this year or if, if we're going to wait the senior season because uh, the team, you know, has so many issues, I just hope that for once, you know, I'm cool rooting for him to get his individual accolades. No, I completely agree. And you know what? It's it's funny because I know we started talking about uh, like a week or two ago, kind of which player, like which players could potentially be added, you know, to the Raptors at SU. And while Christmas isn't an obvious choice and not like a clear choice in any way, shape, or form, the type of season he puts in here, I mean may go without an NCAA tournament for that. I mean, it's just a shame that he'll end up more in the conversation with guys like Demetrius Nichols and others who just put in, you know, really, really great, great efforts um, in in what became kind of a losing effort, at least by Syracuse standards, um, versus, you know, other players who I feel like, and rightfully so, get a lot more, um, a lot more credit from from SU fans and outside spectators alike because of the wins. If if um if SU finds its way into the tournament, uh, which is it seems like a pretty uh, pretty big stretch right now, and Christmas uh, starts to I mean it shouldn't really matter because it's kind of you know subjective, but 
Um, say Chris Smith makes the LACC team, makes the first or second team All-American. I don't think the fact that he improved so much should be weighed against him. So if he if he's like the reason why Syracuse made a tournament here this year against all odds, and he ends the year averaging like almost twenty and ten, I think you could make the argument that he deserves a place. Obviously, he's not going to jump. You know, the guys like Lawrence Mountain who uh, need to get put up in the rafters sooner. But there, I think the fact that he's a four-year player, he's a he was a starter on a Final Four team, um, and then he was the best player on the team, and and is kind of the embodiment of. Uh, you know, what the NCAA pretends to be about in terms of, like, improving and being a four-year athlete and graduating in three years and being an all-around good dude. Um, all that rhetoric, like, he actually is that. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to him being, like, a semi-controversial inclusion uh, just because of all, like, the off-the-court stuff, too. Like, he's apparently just been a, uh, a really strong, um, you know, he's just a good example for everyone else. And that's, you know, that can be overrated a little bit at that point. But uh, I, I don't think that if you have the success to go with it. No, if you have the success to go with it on the court, and like I said, you alluded to there, he has. It's just, you know, this last season and his best one may not add up to the result where, you know, necessarily looking for. But that said, also wanted to point out that, I placed a bet before this season that Rocking Christmas would get 15 and 10 a night. And right now we're 18.4 and 9. Now that second number is going to be hard to get it up a full point based on the opponents we face for the rest of the season. But that said, I really like the fact that I was at least buying in. I mean, no, I didn't think it was going to be this and the dominance he has, but I was buying in. I also want to check on my what Benajay averaging because I said Benajay would lead the team in scoring with 16 a game, and right now he doesn't have close to that. So I'm one for two. I'll take it. <laughs> That's why predictions mean nothing. Predictions mean nothing. Benajay's at 11. But... <laughs> That's true. Unless you decided to enter an NCAA tournament pool. And then they could actually mean something if you got them right. Well, yeah, I mean that's 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 a given. That's the only that's the only time of the year I love giving predictions. But predictions run the internet, Jared. Uh, let's see. So, I don't know. I guess we can get into a little. Well, bracketology. I mean, right now, I guess talking to both of you, what would you say is uh, is Syracuse's odds to, to get into the tournament right now? Zero percent right now. Um, you know, I'd say like fifteen to twenty. I think if they pull, they need to pull like two or three big upsets, which isn't out of the realm of possibility. It's just I wouldn't bet on it. Oh no! Are, like, are we talking like if the tournament started today, would Syracuse be in, or like as we move forward? I'll say if the tournament started today, well, well however we we begin there, um, and, and then well, yeah. they kind of give a revised prediction of of, of of the overall chances from from this point on to get in. Okay, so yeah, if the tournament started today, I say zero. 
But my prediction, yeah, like, but, but we're out right now. Oh, very much so. Okay, so then if we're full, full, so season, we where, yeah, full season, where do we see? I personally see and it's 50-50 right now because, I mean, Syracuse hasn't had, I mean, it's had one so-so, so-so bad losses to Michigan, Clemson. Those aren't great, but hopefully Clemson can go on a little ACC run and not lose too many bad games. Seems like they're a little bit better, but uh, and if Syracuse doesn't lose any more of those games that they should win, or, like, they should win. Um, and, I, like I said before Dan got on here, I just this is college basketball. They're going to beat someone who they shouldn't beat moving forward. And either they're going to get one or two. I mean, this this happens all the time. It happens to Syracuse all the time when they're a good team um, and play a team like Syracuse is now. Um so that's why I say it's 50 because their resume isn't so bad where they can't recover from it. And um, I, I just, I'm finding it hard to believe that they're, they're not going to beat any of the teams that they're not, you know, that they're supposed to lose to. They're going to get, they're going to get one or two of those victories. So, I mean, it's because it's just college basketball it happens that way. So that's why I say it's a 50, 50. If they can get two good wins, then they should be in if they don't have any terrible losses and they don't get knocked out in the first round of the ACC tournament. Um, I mean, that's really all it's going to take because a lot of these ACC teams right now, I mean, there's four or five of them in the top, what, 15, top 10 right now? I mean, in Syracuse plays four or five of them, five, four or five, six of those teams. I mean, those are quality wins right now. So if you get one or two of those, uh, and you, you, that that looks really good compared to a lot of these other schools that are sitting on the bubble that are playing terrible, you know, like that will be playing as good as teams, you know? So that's where I, my take is. I think that's a good point. Like, while the, the last stretch of games, that last, like, seven games or whatever, is really brutal, if we're going to be on the bubble anyway, um, beating a bunch of bad teams isn't going to help us nearly as much as pulling off one or two upsets. Correct. So, there, there's, there's, it's going to be a hard stretch, but there's way more potential and way more opportunity to, to, to uh, get better and improve the resume than there would be if we were going to play like Virginia Tech twice and BC twice. And uh, I mean, I know we still play both those teams again, but like if we have those teams as our stretch run instead of the Duke, uh, Louisville, uh, Pitt, who's not that good, um, UNC. No, we don't have UNC again. But like we have this ridiculous Notre Dame, this ridiculous one at the end. You know, we don't have to win all those games. But if we win the, if we if we hold serve on the games we should win here on and out, and then win like two or three of those final seven, I think we'll at least be on one or one end of the bubble. Uh, we're not sure which, but the bubble is also extremely weak this year, which is is nice for us. Right. I think one thing that Syracuse fans are having an issue with right now is they're not used to being on this side of the bracket. I mean, it's been a while since they have been. So the expectations, I, for Syrac- the expectations for Syracuse are lower when it comes to the committee. Like, they're not expected to be the Virginias, the Dukes, the, but when they do, it really stands out. So that's the thing that they have going for them right now, is their goal is just to get into the tournament, and whatever big wins they get are huge for them. 
Yeah, I mean, I've never rooted for – I mean, since I've been rooting for Syracuse, we haven't missed the tournament. So this is kind of un- uncharted waters for me and I'm sure a lot of others who, who you know, are, have went through SU recently. Um, and like you said, like, obviously the expectations for a team that just went to the Final Four a couple of years ago that has been number one three different seasons in the last six or seven uh, are way higher than the outsiders in the in the committee. Like, they're, they're not going to be as disappointed in Syracuse having a down year as Syracuse fans will be. So I think that's a really cogent point as well. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, I think that the fact that the expectations have gotten so low for Syracuse fans and the fact that, you know, today we're pretty evenly talking about the fact that we're probably going to miss the tournament, it, I, it's almost allowed me to, like, root for the other things, root for, like, individual performances and, and development. It's almost been, um, I don't know, I, I hate, like, accepting mediocrity and accepting the fact that Syracuse is going to do something. But the fact that we are here so early now, um, to, you know, it's not March, uh, it's almost made it a little relieving that now we can, you know, kind of understand we might not make it. Where, uh, and, and hope, you know, maybe we get a couple wins and then we're sweating it out in March. But, you know, it, we'll see. It's, I think I've, I personally handled it a little better than I probably thought I would when this, whenever this came, which we couldn't have expected coming into the year. Well, it's weird because, honestly, like, I mean, even those seasons recently when we didn't make the tournament, I can't really. I mean, both oh six oh seven and oh seven oh eight, we didn't know we weren't going to make the tournament in oh six oh seven. It's still selection Sunday, and in oh seven oh eight, we were still considered on the bubble by some, even though we were all pretty sold on the fact that we weren't going to make it. So I, I think yeah, this is this is weirdly uncharted territory. It's also. I feel like the football and basketball seasons kind of melded together this year um, and just the, the kind of high hopes and downtrodden disappointment. I mean, obviously different highs, different lows, but uh, I feel like the two kind of melted together, and I think that's kind of reflective in the site sometimes uh, as far as the comment section goes. Um, as far as what's going on tonight, so Miami's losing by a lot to Georgia Tech. That's not good Which is for weird. Us. It's very weird. Um <laughs> And you know what? Uh, I know we were talking about the opportunity Syracuse has for the rest of the season. I agree. What worries me more than the than the opportunity, to be honest, is is the the margin for error is is minimal to none um, for the rest of this this stretch here. Um, and I guess that's what scares me is that Syracuse is always prone to drop when they shouldn't. See Clemson game and you know others, but. To me, I guess the demand to do everything you're supposed to do and then also do more than than is expected of you without falling short of expectations in that time frame as well might be too much for this group. Well, it could be, but I I think that... um, I mean, the the thing that they have going for them is they have Cooney and they have Christmas, who are guys that are not going to get overwhelmed by what's going on around them. And Benajay, same way. I mean, it seems like he's playing at a more consistent level and getting better as the season progresses. And I think I want to say the season actually took a turning point, and it once Cooney kind of got off that schneid that he was on. And I always say that because, in the sense that, I mean, it took another turning point when McCullough got injured. Um, but attitude-wise, it seemed 
the team kind of turned their gears a little bit when Cooney started shooting more shots and got in that, like, FU mode that we needed him to get in because it seems like his attitude kind of feeds off, you know, see, it feeds Rack and Rack feeds Cooney. And, like, at least those two guys are, when they show up, they're going to show up every night, they're going to play 40 minutes, they're going to play hard, they're going to play smart, they're going to be hard to stop. And eventually, you know, hopefully that's what the key is, is the other three or four guys, are looking around going, all right, well, I got, I better do something too because, you know, you know, by the season's end, I'm going to look like crap, you know, because these two guys are carrying us and everyone's going to blame it on me or they're going to blame, you know, they're going to blame it on me if we don't make the tournament. So hopefully as the season gets going, you know, and it seems like they're slowly progressing, but like you said, death is an issue uh, and, and it's hurting them in just closing out games. Uh, but hopefully as the season goes along, it's, one of those building block things where they're feeding off the attitude of their two best players who are fantastic, and eventually they start clicking. So, I mean, I, I understand concerns, but I just I just do – the one thing they do have going for them is their two best players right now have the perfect attitude and the perfect skill set that feed off each other, and that's that's good. I buy it. Um all right, little. Uh, I know we did this about a month ago, but uh, pick your elite eight. So, uh, so looking around bracketology stuff, I'm going to use ESPNs because that will be easy for us to kind of each look at the bracket and then give our elite eight. Um, Dan, if you have the page loaded up, how about uh, how about you? Uh, just let me load this real quick. Yeah, mine's loading too here. Is this the this is the one that came out the twenty second? Uh twenty. Oh no, he's there. I don't know why. Oh, that. Um, I'll send it to you in Slack chat in case you don't have it. Um, I'm gonna stick with Kentucky. Come here to the Midwest. Um, just because I mean that's the obvious answer. Um. I'm going to go for the I have Notre Dame coming out of Columbus. Um, I like their offense a lot. And, they, like you know, we went over them a little bit before. Although Providence is really interesting at the, at the sixth seed. Um, and even Indiana is starting to play really well. So I think Kansas is a little overrated. I don't, I'm not in love with Kansas. but So I like those three teams, and I'll take Notre Dame for now. Um, out of the East, I think Virginia is the best team in the country right now. Uh, so I'll take them. Um, and it pains me to go with Maryland, but I will. Uh, they're they're playing they're way better than I don't they have any right to be. Like after all the all the uh, turnover they had this offseason, uh, I think they lost like five or six rotation players, and they're like a thousand percent better. So it, it doesn't make much sense, but there we are. here we are. Um, out of the South, I'm going to go with Iowa State. Uh, I'm not convinced who is a four seed in this. I'm not convinced by Duke's defense. Uh, I think they've been exposed a few times. I think Iowa State is one of the most talented teams in the country. I think Clover is a good coach. Uh, they've underachieved a bit, but I, I trust them come come March. And I'm going to take – why do you have – all right, that's um, – I will take Utah. Uh, just incredibly good defense. 
really solid team all around. Um, Butler's interesting there. Tulsa's also interesting. Uh, that's actually a tough little section right there. Um, and in the West, um, this is uh, kind of uh, this is probably the weakest part of the bracket. Oklahoma's decent. Wichita State's decent. Wyoming's interesting. Even Miami's interesting. Ohio State's talented. I, I guess I'd take Gonzaga, although I haven't really watched a lot of them yet, so I'm, I'm not sure how great they are. I know they're highly rated. Really but, bad section of the bracket. Yeah, that's a really awkward. I guess I'll take Gonzaga because I don't trust like Miami enough as an eight. So I, I'm defaulting. To, I'm defaulting to them, but it wouldn't take me a lot of shuffling for me to not take them. And at the bottom, give me, um, give me Texas. I think they'll gel by the end of the year. Uh, they, they're still finding out how to use. Um, all those big men that they have, which is a, a good problem. Um, I, I no, don't love the idea of trusting Rick Barnes to take a team to the Elite Eight, but I don't think UNC is that great. <laughs> uh, I, I think Arizona is still really raw, and they haven't impressed me so much. Uh, although, and Arizona-San Diego State rematch could be interesting in, in the, uh, the second round. Seton Hall is even interesting as a 10, but I'll guess I'll take Texas. I, I tend to lean towards talent when I haven't seen these teams as much and talent seems to win out like or it's a safe bet to like to, to do pretty well when it comes to the tournament. Obviously they're always upsets, but you can't really you can't really uh bet on that all the time unless you really know uh every team inside and out. It's also crazy to me like looking at this group. Like you see so many iffy programs and everything else. Oh, I guess it's just kind of the the frustration is, on our part. The bracket's so bad right now. Like I you know I we're as much college as much college basketball as I watch there is no teams that like jump out of the page. It's filling our bracket this year is going to be awful. I'm just going to have somebody else like my wife just pick it for me because it's just there's so <laughs> many there's going to be so many toss up games. I mean the teams I like right now I like how the way Maryland's playing. Virginia is going to be tough to beat just because they're defensively and they're sound, uh, but. For VCU uh, right now is playing out of their mind. There's, there's, you can't tell me that VCU uh, won't be able to beat Virginia in a matchup. But, I mean, I could possibly take that. Uh, where if you're looking at the East there, but I like Maryland the way they're playing now. Uh, you know, Miami, they have the wheels, they have the talent to make a run through what the bracket shows right now. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I mean, Oklahoma's been okay. <laughs> and then they're going to be the five seed, I guess. Gonzaga, I guess, looks like they're going to get the one. But, you know, they always have a hard time proving it. If Gonzaga's ever going to make a Final Four, that's the uh, that's the bracket to make it out of right there. Isn't it? Um, Arizona, I mean, yeah. I, it's been the, Texas obviously has a talent. North Carolina, I do like. That's not a bad seed for that. That's not a bad run for North Carolina if they're going to make it as a three seed there. Uh, Wisconsin, Bo Ryan, I mean, that team's going to still be good. Uh, Duke, going to be good. So, uh, I, I pencil them in. I, I mean, really now Duke and Kentucky, I'm penciling in the Elite Eight. Uh, Notre Dame can make a run, but it, it, I don't trust Mike Brand in the tournament. I stopped trusting him a long time ago. It doesn't matter who, how good his teams look. It just seems like they falter. So, um you know, can, you know, Indiana can make a run. Notre Dame's not bad as a three seed there, um, in Kentucky. But yeah, I mean, 
again, you look at the bracket. This is why I always say everybody, every, after every Syracuse loss, people are like, well, Syracuse is out now. They're done. There's no way. It's like, you just look at the teams out of the bubble. There are none of those teams are, you know, unless they go off, which I don't think they are, but none of them are very fantastic. I mean, they're not great. So uh, it's just, it just it's just interesting because college basketball. I know we've talked about this on Twitter, uh, or at least in the news position chat room today, about how college basketball is really is, is in a down year this year. They are. Um, I, I had no reason to watch a lot of these games because uh, they're coin flip game. I mean, they're games that really don't pique my interest because uh, either it's going to be a, it's going to be a grinded out game with no low scoring, or or the both teams are bad. I mean. Uh, so, I mean, come tournament time, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I love college basketball. I'm going to watch regardless. But uh, it's it's going to be a very interesting year this year. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. It's And I, I wrote this after the tournament last year. I said, you know, like, this isn't – as much as we all like the, the upsets in the first round and sometimes in the second, everybody's kind of okay with, you know, the top few seeds sorting things out in the last – few years, you know, Connecticut in particular has been the beneficiary of, um, you know, everything just kind of going to hell. And this year, I think we might see some similar things. I mean, I was about to make some bold claim that NC State was going to get to the Elite Eight in the East uh, to face Virginia, but now I see them getting smoked by Clemson and Raleigh. So, not going that route. Um, hey, we got smoked by Clemson. <laughs> not... Not in, <laughs> I mean, not at home. But not at home, I guess. Yeah, right. uh, well, I also wouldn't pick up to the Elite Eight, so that's any consolation. That's true. Yeah, but uh, I'm actually going to go, I'm going to go wild pick anyway. I'm going Northern Iowa. Uh, I got Northern Iowa and Virginia um, in that East region. I, I think that'll be, I think the East presents a lot of interesting possibilities. Uh, DCU is, is a very very good kind of sleeper pick there, and I think it's a sleeper final four pick. Um, if VCU honestly dropped down to a six, it would actually benefit them greatly in a region like that, or even out in the West. Because that's a team that met against the right um, opponents. Uh, guys might be a little overmatched by their speed and ability to shoot. Uh, that seems like a great, um, you know, again, sleeper pick to me, but, but because facing Virginia, I think Virginia can grind them down. So I'll take UVA, Northern Iowa in the east, um, in the Midwest. Um, I hate Kentucky, but I'll take them and, and Notre Dame. Though I, I agree with what Dan said earlier, Providence is it, a really, really scary uh, draw for, for Notre Dame. Honestly, Murray State in the first round is a scary draw for them. And, and even even more glaring, Providence, which could be a scary six seed, uh, you know, has, has potentially the George Washington Old Dominion two teams who, uh, who could really scare a few people as well. Um, but I'll go with Kentucky and, and Notre Dame over there for right now. Um, going to agree with Dan on Iowa State. And I'm going to go with Utah. Um, I've watched a few Utah games out here. Um, Utah is big. They're physical. Um, they just know how to punch teams in the mouth. And I think that that style of play is really going to uh, suit them well um, in that bottom part of the bracket. Um, so I, I'll give Utah the, the advantage, despite, you know, the obvious butler sitting there, as is their their tendency to do. 
um, and beg you to put them into, you know, the Sweet 16 or the Final Four. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll take uh, I'll take Iowa State and Utah down there, um, despite Wisconsin and, and Butler hanging. I think, to be honest, after after probably you know the obvious pick of Duke, if you want to eliminate them, just for that, you know, just for fun, um, you know, I do think Utah, Wisconsin um, are, are both just really great teams um, and, and could easily find themselves in the Final Four. Um, and then this West bracket crapshoot. Um, I'm going to go with Oklahoma and Texas, though at the same time, um, you could talk me into Texas, UNC, San Diego State, Seton Hall, or Arizona getting out of that bottom part of the bracket. Um, I just think you know, Seton Hall, while they're not great, they can be scary. I think San Diego State, uh, San Diego State plays far too similar style to us. That's, that's very much just to grind them down and hope you can hit enough shots in the paint. I mean, you think we can't score? I mean, I watch uh, I watch a decent amount of Aztec basketball. Uh, my all my in-laws went there, so I, I do watch those games. And I mean, they're they're the epitome of grind them down. I mean, they're scoring sometimes 49, 50 points and, and, and wins, and that to me, I mean, that's unwatchable. But maybe maybe it suits them well in the tournament. I just don't think it does, and I, I kind of barely or not project a lot of our struggles on them as a result. My question, I know we had this uh, conversation uh, earlier today, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, but um, it looks like Coach K actually is in in the post-game press conference is mentioning about cleaning up play in college basketball. And I know we talked about this, like I said, earlier today. I mean, I mean, this is a big problem, right, in college hoops right now at this point. I mean, this is something that they I, – is it, it's not a talent thing, right? Like, this could be – stuff like, like slow play, bad scoring, this could be fixed with a couple easy adjustments, right? I mean, I've been calling for a 30 – at least a 28 to 30 second shot clock for years. Why does elite college basketball players need 35 seconds to run down the floor instead of a play? Uh, that's my question. Why have they needed for that long? And two, how come it's still an issue where, I mean, hand-checking and just, I mean, I know Rack or Keaton Christmas complains a lot every time, every time he shoots the ball. But, I mean, he is getting fouled on a lot of these shots. I mean, there's no calls. Um, and that's an issue. Like, that's, there's no wonder there's no scoring. We're sending all these kids to the line all the time. There's, there's a lot of false shots in a lot of these games, and it's just awful. And, I, it, and I'm really concerned. I know we are all basketball fans, but, it, man, it's really going to turn around. Uh, or, you know, college basketball is just going to get overlooked, uh, you, know, for, you know, throughout the whole winter. I, I think the shot clock's the easiest fits. Um, like you said, I don't know why there are different clocks for different levels. Um, even if you don't want to go to 24 seconds, like 30 seconds isn't that much different, and it's a whole lot better than what we have. But, like, if you if you watch uh, a good high-level high NBA game, you see teams are getting into their offense as soon as they cross half court and they're whipping the ball around and moving fast, and it's a lot more fluid. In college, you see almost every team, unless they're, you know, a total run-and-gun type team, is burning 10 seconds off the, shot, off the clock anyway, just having a point guard dribble around for a while. So, 
you're you're having the same plays. Um, you're just wasting. You're taking out a lot of this wasted time that I don't know. I don't know what it's lending to. Like I, the the point guards don't seem to be probing the the defense any more than than what they do when they finally decide to engage. They're just wasting time. And even if you don't want to make the jump all the way down to 24 seconds, which is a huge change, 30 is fine for now, and, and hopefully we can, you know, graduate to where both levels are they're using the same clock. But that that that'd be a, a really easy. You don't have all the you don't have as much time for all the nonsense and the hand checking and the battling in the post where people are getting slapped around, and then other times, you know, they're not calling anything. Um, I think there's like the fact there's so much time on every possession just lends itself to more sloppiness, more inconsistency. Yeah, I mean, Dan and I have kind of gone off about all the issues of college basketball and how both of us started gravitating a ton towards watching pro games. I mean, even look at something like tonight, LeBron doesn't play. It doesn't really matter because Kyrie Irving goes off for 55 points. Um, in an oddly efficient display for him, uh, shot well from three, shot well from two, and, and the line. Um I mean, like I, I said at the beginning before Dan hopped on, I'm still watching the Knicks for some reason. Um, <laughs> because when I mean, you pay for league pass, you, you, want, you want the value. I still find myself watching well, I mean, more college um, just because, like, it, I, I'm I'm used to it and I write about college sports for my right. job, so I probably should be watching more college, and I do. But my NBA watching has definitely gone up a, a ton in the last, like, three or four years. Um, and it's because the, 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 the whole, like, there's still this, like, myth about that the, the, they don't play defense, that it's one-on-one. And that was kind of true, like, the at the early LeBron years and, like, before that, the, the Allen Iverson, you know, mid-Kobe mid, mid years. But it's going to be farther from the truth now. I mean, go watch the Spurs team that won last year. Go watch you know, the Atlanta Hawks this year are unbelievable. It's like watching, like, it's, it's basketball art. They just, they, they play such a great brand of basketball. So the whole, like, all those early 2000s, late 90s, post-Jordan, like, things that were true back in the day, like, are, are very much not anymore. And people do need to, uh, if they haven't tuned into, like, high-level NBA games, definitely give it a, give it a watch. It's, it's worth your time. Right. It's, I mean, some people like to blame the one-and-done rule. Others, you know, blame defenses. Rules that favor defense. I just, I, I, and again, you know, this is going to be the, or Dan and I talked about this. Anyone who thinks that you, that you don't play defense in, in the pros is kidding you. Um, because to watch teams that are good at defense play um, efficiently, um, they create offense with that defense. I mean, you look at the things that the Spurs have done over the years. Look at how well Memphis has played this year. Even improved Rockets team. Um, I wouldn't include the Bulls there because I honestly think that they play a miserable brand of basketball, and I hate the Bulls. But, you know, there's there's a lot to watch. It doesn't mean to not watch college, but, I mean, if you're me and you take the league pass, you're going to watch it if you... If you didn't and you just want to catch the uh, the great primetime matchup du jour, lucky for you, uh, the NBA is pretty much everywhere. Um, if you want to see it and find it, uh, yeah, if, if people are starting to get a little turned off by what they're seeing with college, especially um, if 
for those who want to give up on the Syracuse season, which I'm not just yet, um, that's definitely an option for you. The uh, the National Basketball Association, as uh, as you may not be uh, familiar as of yet. And the NBA has learned wisely that if you put a, a Warriors game on national television at 10 o'clock, people are going to watch that game <laughs> because the Warriors are unbelievable. Um, and if you like Steph Curry and Davidson, uh, holy crap, he is somehow so much better than what he was then, and uh, you need to watch that team. You need to watch the Hawks, and you need to watch – uh, the Wizards are a lot of fun. Like there are so many teams that are really interesting that aren't necessarily star driven. Obviously, they all have good players, but the Hawks should have like three or four All Stars, and who knows if they get them. Um, but it, they're just really good team basketball, uh, really good shooting, high offense. Um, even against like great defensive teams, like they they still have the advantage. But they they have the advantage of the teams that don't play good defense, but. You know, it doesn't make the game ugly. It still flows really well. So, yeah, uh, I'm excited, you know. And I, I'm still glad when I see a game like Syracuse UNC where college basketball can still be played at that kind of frenetic pace, even when even when it, it, that wasn't the, the cleanest game. But I'll take a game that has some sloppiness that is played in the 80s over what we've seen the last couple of years. I agree 100%. I mean, like you said, it's, I guess, you know, the you could say percentage shooting. I mean, but North Carolina's percentage shooting was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I mean, a game in the 80s, 70s, high 70s to 80s into the 90s. Um, I mean, even the, the game tonight, Duke-Notre Dame was high 70s. It was fantastic. Um, I mean, it, it, it's such a drag, though. I mean, it's, it's, it's sad when if a team scores 25 points in the first eight minutes of a college basketball game – you're shocked, like, that's bad. That's not good. Like, that's not a good brand of whatever you have. Like, you know. So, it's just, it is frustrating to watch some of those games. And all that, I, I'm not watching as many college basketball games as I had last year because um, a lot of the times, like, I'm not interested in watching a lot of these teams. Um, I mean, I watch Kentucky a lot. watch Duke a lot. I watch, you know, Louisville. I watch a lot of the good ACC matchups that are on. Um, but I'm not sitting through like a Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech game. Um, I'm not sitting through Ohio State and, you know, another Big Ten, get, you know, another Big Ten game right now where it's not as good. Uh, I mean, Big 12, they can score a little bit here and there, but it's just, it, it's very, you know, I'm not up enough to watch a Pac-12 game. So, uh, but it's just one of those things where, you know, it, it's not going to be good or entertaining. I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to get credit for it. And, you know, I can just catch the highlights. Or we'll read, you know, I read a lot of box scores in the morning. Uh, so that's what I do. It's like the catch up on it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to sit and watch something else uh, when it comes to a brand of quality things. So I, that's the only thing I, I get concerned of. It's like me, a person who really likes to watch college basketball, isn't as interested in the game because it's bad, it's getting worse. Um, I can't imagine what the random sports fan is feeling. All right. Um, all, all, all I want to see is Doug McDermott go off for 40 points, guys. That's all I want to do. I can't happen anymore. Yeah, talk about talk about someone that uh, their college uh, it's had a, it, this year has proven how important they were. Creighton's terrible. 
Yeah, that uh, I mean, he was the main reason Creighton was was brought up to the Big East. Yeah, the Big East didn't know he was a senior, right? <laughs> uh, I, 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 think I, don't, I don't think they did, Matt. They got him for one year. That's like that's like an American thing to do. Like the American would would take teams based on one player who's going to leave the year after. Well, at least we can move for Clemson now, fellas. So hopefully they, you know, that win, if they need get the North Carolina State win, we don't look as bad. See, here's the problem, though. I don't find that works as much in in conference play because you end up facing everybody anyway. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me in conference. The out-of-conference stuff which we have gotten no help about, except for Iowa's looking okay. St. John's will occasionally have a decent win. But that that that's always more important for me in terms of, like, the hoobie who But, like, Michigan bombed out. I mean, I know they had a nice one against the – who did they play last night? Um, they had a decent one yesterday. I forgot who they played. But, uh, Mich- but they've been, you know, pretty much a disaster. And Cal totally dropped off. So, we, he's uh, – these games we had really didn't help us nearly as much as we hoped when we lost. Like, you know, that's not a bad loss. No. All right. So, anything else before we wrap up today? I know I am, uh, again, trying to hang in there with the Knicks as they might actually beat the Thunder, which is weird. Oh, man, uh, no time yeah. to talk about Sean Lynch or Deflategate. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, today I was praying to go back to the Flake Gate after the uh, the Marshawn Lynch hot take. That, that's what, what I do? The Flake Gate is so much more interesting than the Marshawn Lynch thing. It's unbelievable. And I, I wanted to get <laughs> my ears out after two weeks of the Flake Gate. So yeah. this, is, this week uh, before the Super Bowl is always brutal in terms of, like, awful talking points. And this year has been, like, the, the zenith of that. Like, it is just terrible things that people are forcing out through. I mean, I could, we could at least give our Super Bowl picks, though. I mean, at least, you know, because that is a big game. I, I like uh, I like the Seahawks. I like, of course, I am not rooting for the Patriots. I'm a huge Bills fan and despise New England. So, uh, I think they're just a, they're a bunch of cheats anyway. So, uh, and that's the only reason why they've won it all for the last decade or longer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they're really good. But, uh, no, I'm rooting for – I'll be rooting for Seattle – uh, this Sunday, and I think they will pull it off. Um, so that's that's my take, at least. Um, and I hope they do. I don't particularly like either team. Um, I think so, New England will win. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. I, Seattle <laughs> it's still a lot of, uh, Um. They haven't looked great the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, I'm a little bitter that my Packers uh, just had the worst loss in history. Um, maybe not. That's only somewhat hyperbole, I think. But uh, I just think New England's playing at a higher level right now, and I'm afraid to bet against them. So I won't. I don't know. I don't really care who wins, but I think New England will win in a pretty good game. It should be a lot better than last year's game. At least I hope. Yeah, I'm 
I love rooting against the Pats. It's it's too much fun. One of my best friends is a big Pats fan, so it's always entertaining to pile on. Um, really hoping for a loss uh, for for them, just to to kind of put an exclamation point on this whole Deflate Gate nonsense. Uh, but we'll see. I, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. I I, I always enjoy matchups of of strength versus strength. Uh, unfortunately for the Pats, that strength. That wins is usually defense, um, but again, we'll see. I think it's going to be a very, very interesting game, um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to Sunday. Are you guys? Uh, do you guys do uh, like big viewing parties, or are you now at the age of like you're old enough to just like sit at home, drink a couple beers, eat some food, and just actually watch the game? And all I, as I've gotten older, last five years or so, I despise viewing parties and just actually sit at home and watch the game. This is my um, first sit at home with the wife and watch the game version, and it took me 26 years to get here. Uh, it was just because <laughs> friends weren't around, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't want to go to a bar. I don't want to go drive anywhere. I'd just rather sit, enjoy. Like, I have a fridge full of beer. What do I need? you know, more more expenditures for. Um, I enjoy the parties, but I also watch with a bunch of other people who are pretty sports knowledgeable, which helps. So, like, obviously yeah. there'll be one or two people that don't know really what's going on, but for the most part, my group of friends is pretty, it's football literate and into the NFL, and I'm also, I think, hosting this, this weekend. So that'll be nice. I don't need to go anywhere. Oh, yeah, that is that is very nice. So you know, I, 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 my, uh, I just stopped going to viewing parties. My father has one, and just going to going to parties now where there are people that have no idea what's going on, and especially people that comment on everything that's going on, uh, <laughs> that's really annoying. So it, it, I just I have gotten to the point where I'm just like I I need to be in a cocoon and just watch the game. And if there's someone that at least is knowledgeable about what's going on. That helps a lot. Because at least you can bounce ideas and have fun back and forth. But, yeah, getting the viewing parties where just no one has any idea what's going on or have any idea of what they're talking about is just the worst. Yeah, when when Green Bay played in 2010 or 2011, whatever year that was, uh, 2011, um, I was, like, I was at a party and with a decent amount of people, but I was, like, so hyper-focused on the game. I had, like, one beer the entire time, and I was just, like, sitting still. So uh, if, if my team's playing in it, I, I'm a little more loath to, like, be at something that's super distracting. But um, unfortunately, that hasn't been the case since then. Uh, and I know that's, like, everyone's playing this world's smallest violin for me, the Green Bay Packer fan who wouldn't make playoffs every year. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, that's, like, otherwise, if I don't have, like, a real vested uh, interest in the game, like, I'm cool with fairly intelligent discussion of it and, and not, you know, having other people around. Yeah, I mean, I, I always find it difficult to watch a championship game involving your team, and, and I always find that my, my alcohol consumption during any game involving my team goes down immensely. I mean, you would think at least on paper, that that both Giants the both Giants past Super Bowls for me resulted in, you know, copious drinking everything else, but but far from it, to be honest. I mean my running joke for years now is that like 
I blacked out right after the, the Patriots Giants first Super Bowl, but I didn't drink anything that game. I literally just lost my ability to remember anything because of just the emotion involved. I think like when Syracuse got to the final four, didn't really drink much. Rangers were in the Stanley Cup last year, same deal. Like I just completely can't do it. Um, uh, under any circumstances. I, I just feel like, and I didn't do it when I was in college either. I rarely drank during games just because I, I guess for me, it just, it heightens an already very emotional state of mind that, that I'm going to be in for those three hours. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because during build games, I drink heavily and it's very hard for me to go through a Bills game without drinking, which I don't think it has almost to be like nerves or anything. It's just, I don't know. It's the different type of anxiety I get while watching the game. Well, PTSD. watching Syracuse games, I don't drink at all. Like, I, I'd rather not drink during a Syracuse game so I can kind of like, understand what's going like, kind of really watch it. I don't know. It's really weird. I guess maybe it's because I, you know, I have to do a lot of writing about it, but, um, yeah, my sports watching is very different, but when it comes to watching Bills and watching Syracuse games, it's, I don't know why that is. I'm kind of the same way. Um, I generally don't drink that much before Syracuse stuff. Um, afterwards, I will. Or, like, if there's a tailgate, I will. But just watching at a bar, I'll have, like, a couple beers. But I'm way more interested in, like, intently watching the game. And then I can go celebrate after, and that's fine. Weird. Yeah, so, so we should, we should yeah. run a poll in the comments. See, like, who actually – Because I feel like who actually drank during Syracuse. Although, admittedly, by the end of last football season, I was drinking during Syracuse football game. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I drink I drink during Syracuse football games a lot more than I drink during basketball games. So, um, yeah, I yeah, it, it, I guess football, I guess because like football is so slowly paced at times too, because you know it's just you're just sitting there killing time a lot of times through commercial breaks, and it it helps the beer flow a lot more. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll end it on that. Uh, <laughs> about an hour. Uh, um, so yeah for uh, Trend Noons and Absolute Podcast I'm John Casillo that was Jared Smith and Dan Lyons you can check out all the things we do and say on Twitter on the site um, and yeah thanks guys for joining tonight yeah enjoy the bye week everyone yes <laughs> Go on. watch other basketball Drink like the NBA yeah watch the NBA watch the At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.